Our scripture reading today is from Colossians chapter 15 through chapter, sorry, chapter 3, verse 15 through chapter 4, verse 1. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Elizabeth, and uh, thank you for, for having me. My name is uh, Lyric Fesco, and I'm the Director of Discipleship at Christ Presbyterian Church. As always, it's a, a remarkable joy to, to be here with you, and, and I thank you for allowing me the opportunity to open God's Word with you today. Uh, I am here by invitation of your pastor, Russ Ramsey, and if I, I've explained to you before, Russ and I are currently engaged in a fake feud. And uh, we are engaged in this fake feud for our own entertainment as well as the entertainment of, of others. Uh, to give you an example as to how this feud operates, perhaps you're, you're familiar with how a smartphone uh, works. My, my phone can only be accessed and unlocked through facial recognition or by way of a passcode. Uh, so you can't get into my phone unless you have my face or you have my passcode. What a time to be alive, am I right? This is, this is fantastic. Well, there are two features that you can use on most smartphones without biometrics or a passcode. You can turn on the flashlight, which is useful, uh, as that seems like a fairly innocuous task that doesn't com compromise the security of your phone. Or you can use the camera. You can take a single photo and, uh, without accessing the rest of the photos in the, in the photo library. Um, so all that to say, it was in a recent meeting where I was called up to, to come make a brief presentation. So when I was called up, I left my phone behind at the table. And at said table also sat Pastor Russ Ramsey, who saw that I left my phone behind. And seeing that you can take pictures with a phone without a passcode, he thought it would be cute to take a picture of himself, a selfie, okay, uh, for me to discover later at, uh, at a later time when I was going through my camera roll. However, he didn't stop at taking one selfie. He didn't take two selfies, or five, <laughs> or 20. He left me with 218 <laughs> pictures of himself on my phone. Now, the really impressive part about it was that my presentation was only five minutes long. 
Uh, I'm not sure how he did. It was quite the, quite the achievement. So when, when Russ asked me to come preach today, I gladly accepted, as I always, lo- I always love to be with you all. But then I read the scripture passage and wondered if he was up to something by sticking me with wives, submit to your husbands. That's a, that's a here you take this one, he says. <laughs> We're talking about the community of Christ today, though. And, and I got to say, I love being in community uh, with, with Russ, your pastor. He's a dear friend of mine. And I know you know he is a, a wonderful pastor. And, and we're calling a truce for the rest of the day. Isn't that right? Okay, good. But what a great passage to work through today. Uh, And yes, I use the word work intentionally because this is one of the passages that sometimes, if we're being honest, we might want to skip over because it's certainly by the culture's standards that there's all kinds of language in here that doesn't sound right. But here's the reality. It's here. It's here. And because it's here, we can't skip it. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that is committed to teaching and following the, the full counsel of God. And, and coming into this passage, there's, there's an interesting dynamic that unfolds that is perpetually present throughout all the scriptures. And Bible teachers refer to it as the indicative and the imperative. The indicative and the imperative, and if you've been part of this church very long, you've probably heard those terms a few times. But the indicative and the imperative could basically, basically be summed up like this. The Word of God is, is full of commands in both the Old and New Testaments. Another word for command is the word imperative. Okay, so the Bible is full of imperatives. And that in and of itself sounds, can sound like a bit of a drag. If there's a misconception about what we believe that is perpetuated all throughout society, is that we're just a group of people that simply follow a bunch of rules. Do this, don't do that. Stay away from these people, but embrace these people. And why, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Well, like I heard so many times growing up, perhaps it's a phrase that I swore I would never say to my kids, but I do all the time. You know, we, we do these rules. Is it because, because I said so? Is that why we do them? Is that why we follow the imperatives of the Bible? Simply because I said so? I used to hate hearing that, and, and I've become what I hate. Because if I'm being honest... Sometimes I say that to my kids because I said so, because I'm exasperated. Uh, Don't ask me why. Just just do what I'm telling you to do. Our Heavenly Father, however, is beyond patient with us. Every command in the scriptures, every command, every imperative is accompanied by an indicative. The imperative and the indicative. What's the indicative? An easy way to remember what the indicative is referring to is that the indicative indicates something. It's a statement of fact. You you never receive an imperative in the scriptures without God indicating a statement of fact along with it, a statement of fact about God himself. What accompanies every imperative but a reminder, a statement of fact about who God is and what he has done for you. For example, perhaps the most famous set of commands in the Bible, the Ten Commandments. Do you remember the preamble to the Ten Commandments? You know, the Lord just didn't call for Moses one day and say, hey, Moses, write this stuff down. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. No. What precedes the Ten Commandments? The first commandment comes at verse three. What's in verses one and two? And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he begins the commandments. In other words, God is saying, remember, 
remember who I am. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. This isn't something you could have done on your own. This is not something you could have done under your own power. The only hope you had to leave Egypt and slavery was if the Lord Almighty outstretched his arm, went before you, freed you from your enslavement, and fought your battles for you. That's the only way this happens, is if I do it for you. And so with that in mind, understanding that, here's the first commandment. Here's who I am. Here's whose power under which you operate and and do everything I ask you to do. So as we open up the scriptures today, as we open up our passage that Elizabeth just read for us a moment ago, it starts with an imperative. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. Wait a minute, that's a command? I'm commanded to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart? Yes. When, when Paul asks, or speaks about the peace of Christ here, he, he's not talking about a peaceful, easy feeling. He's not talking about assurance that says, whatever happens, you know that the Lord is your salvation. That's a scriptural truth, yes. We are a people that carry with us a, a, the peace that passes all understanding, as Paul describes in Philippians 4, but that's not what he's talking about here. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. What Paul is telling us to do here is is to live at peace with each other. This, This is a command, an imperative for the church. You and I are to live at peace. Does that sound like a difficult task? Get along with fellow Christians. Oh yeah, I can do that. That's no problem at all, right? Can we? (laughs) A quick flyover um, social media that'll tell you that it's become a a magnet of of controversy. Social media is a magnet for controversy now. It's it's not where you go to find news. It's it's where you go to find division. It's, It's a land of hyperbole where I try and get you to take my position and my best bet to endear you to my position in 280 characters or less is to paint you as the most extreme anti-version of my position. Yes, it's a political war ground. However, the church isn't immune from jumping into the fray and, and shooting arrows at each other. We see this all the time. You and I, whether we want to admit it or not, and I, I raise my hand here as much as anyone else, don't think I'm talking specifically to you. I'm talking to me too. We have this way of tearing each other up from the inside from the inside out, in an almost post-pandemic world, perhaps you've heard some of the stats by now, but but in research conducted by the Barna Institute, it found that some 30% of pastors right now are walking away from their pulpits. Now, maybe 30% doesn't sound uh, high. Is that much different than than what most employee turnover uh, rates hover around in any given industry? No, it's not much different, but, but shouldn't it be? Shouldn't it be? It's indicative of the fact that that we have a little difficulty getting along with each other, and and it's often not because of the arrows coming from the outside inside to the church. It's the ones coming from the inside that hurt so much. We have difficulty getting along with each other. Why is that? Well, there are a number of explanations. We we have different backgrounds, different life experience, cultural inputs and familial inputs, and, and all of these things shape the way we act and think and respond to things. And since we're not the same, we clash with each other. But here's what Paul is saying. Not anymore. 
Not anymore. You're one body now. You were called in one body. One body. So how do we do this? How do we live as one body without tearing each other apart? Remember, the command to live at peace with each other is preceded by an indicative. And what's the indicative? I hope you've had a chance to be here over the last several weeks to hear Russ talk about everything that Paul has covered up to this point in Colossians, because to this point, it's, it's been one giant indicative. Remember these sayings from earlier in just this chapter, chapter 3, you have been raised with Christ. Then in verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life, and he frames all of these things around the idea that we, we put the old self to death and the new self is raised with Christ. And that new self, verse 9, is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. How do we live at peace with each other? Paul has told us this by the power of Christ. You're a new person now, walking in the footsteps of Jesus. That's how we do this. With that knowledge, live at peace with each other. Okay, but how? <laughs> how? How do I actually do that? We, we just got a new dishwasher, and boy, the advancements they've made in the world of kitchen appliances, it, it's pretty amazing. The options they give you now, all at the press of a button. There's an eco setting, right? There's another sense, a sanitized setting, a setting that if you want your dishes also extra dry, you push the extra dry setting. That's an odd one to me. It seems like it should be dry or not dry. I don't know why there's an extra dry. I don't know the difference between that. There's an auto cycle where it uses a sensor to detect how dirty your dishes are, and then it adjusts the wash cycle accordingly. There's a gentle mode, and there's a delayed start. So many options, all at the click of a button. If sanctification were only that easy, live at peace, I'll take it. That's the option I want. Live at peace. How, how, do, I, how do I select that option? I hear you, I'm a new creature in Christ. I want to put off the old self and put the new one on. But how? How? How do I do it? We don't make it out of the very first verse today without Paul giving us a hint. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And, and here's the rest of the verse. And be thankful. And be thankful. How do you put on the new self? Step one, be thankful. We have uh, two teenagers in our home, and uh, both boys. And sometimes thankfulness amongst teenagers is not the most highly uh, used characteristic, Right? We find ourselves having to really press in on them when it comes to being thankful in a world where, where communication seems to be deteriorating, where we once again try and limit the number of characters we use in one thought. More and more, it seems like we have to push our boys to, to say two simple words. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I mean, we push them. <laughs> we push them. Tell your mom thanks. Don't complain and tell your mom thanks. And what do we get in response? <sighs> Thank you. You know, it's really heartfelt, you know. It's really heartfelt. Does, does that do anybody any good? If I'm having to force them to say thank you, is that accomplishing what I want it to accomplish? He's saying the words, but he doesn't mean it. Why do I have him say it if he doesn't really mean it? Much like forgiveness, by the way, 
you can express thankfulness before you feel thankfulness. Thankfulness is not simply brought about by a feeling. Sometimes it comes that way, yes. You know, if you were to walk up to me right now after the service and tell me, hey, while you're away, I went to your home and I fixed the broken heater that you have and I, and I had someone go over there and fix it, right? How would I respond? I'd be surprised and I'd be, I'd be profusely thankful. Oh my goodness, thank you. I'm so thankful. Thank you. I wouldn't have to conjure up gratitude. It would just pour out. But answer me this. If thankfulness were only a reflex, if it were only a reflex, why does Paul issue the command here? Why do we have to be told, be thankful, take action, and be thankful? No, but what if I'm not feeling it? What if I'm not feeling thankfulness? There's no footnote there. Be thankful. Be thankful. In other words, yes, you can express it before you feel it because thankfulness is not dependent upon a feeling. That's what Paul is telling us. It's a muscle that needs to be exercised. Because we forget. We forget. We forget how insanely blessed we are. We, we, we fail to live at peace with each other because we have this tendency to be annoyed by the thing that we, we see that we don't like in one another rather than focus on the fact that whenever we look into the eyes of another Christian, we, 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 another human being, we see the image of God, someone who is fearfully and wonderfully made. And as Paul has already told us, someone who, who like me, who's in the process of putting off the old self and putting on the new, and that is only possible because the Spirit of God has taken up residence in me and now gives me the ability to do that. And, and when I look into the eyes of a fellow believer, that's what I need to remember, that the same Holy Spirit that occupies my heart is the same Holy Spirit that occupies theirs. And what we have in common far outweighs anything that could possibly divide us. Thanks be to God. How do we live at peace with one another? Step one, be thankful. Exercise the muscle of thanksgiving. Recall your blessings one after the other. And whenever I feel like I'm being shorted by someone else, it's overshadowed by the treasures of blessing that the Lord has overwhelmed me with, the crown jewel being the fact that I have a Savior. And that Savior has given me right standing before God the Father. What more could I possibly need? What can damage me? Live at peace with one another. Step one, be thankful. Live at peace with one another. Step two, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And yes, no surprise to many of you, I'm, I'm guessing, how do we live at peace with one another? Of course you're going to tell me to read my Bible. <laughs> While that is certainly true, filling your hearts and minds with the Word of God is an essential part of the Christian life, and we could devote a whole sermon and more to the benefits of the daily consumption of, of God's Word. But guess what? In this passage, that's not the complete thought. How do we live at peace with one another? Step two, let the Word of God dwell in you richly, comma, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. In other words, for the church to live at peace with one another, ingesting the Word of God is an essential component, but it's not just ingesting the Word of God, it's ingesting it together. Uh, we're, we're a family. My, my family loves the, we love the grill. We love the grill, and uh, we're, we love to grill year-round. Rain or shine, we'll be out there on the grill. And we have a list of our favorites that, that we like to throw on the grill, and I could probably spend the rest of my time up here listing off all the things we like to cook, meats and vegetables. But one of our favorites is, is ribs. We love ribs. 
And uh, that's a frequent request in our house. And, and, I, and you know, I, I hate to brag, but here goes. We, we can't find better ribs anywhere than what we make on our own grill. It, it's a long process. It takes more than six hours to do it, and it's a multi-stage procedure. You know what? I got, yes, right in the front row here. I'm getting yes, amen. In fact, my wife, my wife, her name is Tracy. She, she's not the type of person to eat anything off a of bone. She doesn't like eating anything. She makes her feel like she's a barbarian when she eats something off a of bone. Uh, but, but our ribs, all decorum goes out the window, Okay. Something else you should know about our ribs, I've never sat down and enjoyed one of a rack of ribs on my own. Not once. As much as I like them, I've never cooked a rack of ribs on the grill for one. Now, to be sure, I'm not above it. I could do it. <laughs> and maybe one day I will, but to this point, I've not done it. Why is that? Call me crazy. These ribs may not really win any awards. But something about them tastes better when we sit down and enjoy them together. When I hear my son say, oh man, these are so good, it, it affects me. They taste a little bit better. To see my wife enjoying something that she would never, ever, ever, ever order in a restaurant and eat them off a bone, it affects me. They taste a little better. So yes, I could read my Bible all day on my own and I'm sure I would get a lot out of it. To be sure, I certainly would. But how do we live at peace with one another? Open the word of God together and teach one another. And yes, even admonish one another. When I open the word of God with you and I see how it changes you, it affects me. It changes me. When I open the word of God with you and I see how it admonishes you, how it corrects you, I, I am admonished and I am corrected. When we read the word of God together, we, we grow together. Just the other week when, when we were driving back from fall, fall break, we passed through Atlanta and I asked my family if they would indulge me as I wanted to drive by the house that I called home all through high school and college and even a few years after that. And in many ways, it looked very familiar. It's just like the house that I remembered, just the way I remembered it. But what jumped out to me were the trees in the front yard. There were more than a dozen trees in the front yard and uh, they were all so big. They were all so big, and, and the, the other thing I remember about that home is that my family planted all but two of those trees. And when we planted them, they were small. My dad lifted them by hand out of the pot that they came in and, and then planted them in the ground. And now, and now some of them, it's fair to say, were enormous. They were enormous, and each of those trees had multiple branches, large branches. And, and can you fathom just any one of those trees whereby one branch was enormous while the other small and puny? Of course not. They all grew together and were deeply rooted together because they were all nourished together and now sturdy and nearly immovable. When we read the word of God together, we grow together. We become sturdy and immovable together. And the more we grow, the less we're affected by the winds and storms that come our way. How do we live at peace with one another? Together we ingest the word. The word will make us grow and unify us in a way that we can't do on our own. That's step two. And then the next step we're going to call step 2B because it's similar to step two. All the same lessons apply. We, we read the, the word of God together and we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. There's that word again. Thankfulness. Chances are you won't leave this worship service today repeating something that I said. 
You won't repeat something I said over and over and over again, but you will, I dare say, walk out the, the door. Maybe you'll be singing, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. You may leave here singing that and repeating that biblical truth in your mind and absorbing it in your heart. That's medicinal. That's life-giving. How much more if we all left here singing it together? Focused around one central truth like that. Friends, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. You're here today. What, what, what points 2A and 2B tell us in, in, in that is that, that the Christian faith is not something to be done alone. Yes, there are many things that we can do alone, but to grow as one body, to be at peace as one body, we must do these things together. And the more we do them, the more we live at peace. Don't forget them. Don't forget these things. When you're tempted to take a season off, don't. Remember these words and exercise these muscles. It's essential. We have to do this together. That's the only way we can live at peace. If your Bible is, to broken, is broken into sections like mine, you'll see that as we get into verse 18, we have a, a, a heading, and it says, Rules for Christian Households. That, that heading wasn't a heading that Paul wrote. Uh, that was put there by the Bible publisher to help us organize and, and locate sections of Scripture as we read through it. And, and those headings are often very, very helpful. But sometimes you might read one of those, those headings and think, okay, next subject, we're done here. But in this case, it's not a new subject. Paul is flowing from one element to the next in a very, this is all very linear. It's all very linear. He, he, he gave us the indicative and then the imperative of living at peace with one another as a church body, and he moves right into the household where all the same things apply. And so often we'll approach this section of, of the passage and read things like wives submit or children obey or bond servants obey. And it's alarming. And if you only read those verses starting with verse 18, yes, it's alarming. But as with everything else in Scripture, you must consider it along with everything else that's being said around it. The verses around it the chapters around it, the books around it, and where that book sits in the greater redemptive story of the Bible. Paul, Paul is not suddenly changing this, the, uh, the topic here. Wives submit. No, he's continuing his thought on how we live at peace with one another as a single, unified body. So if we come into these verses believing Paul is, is spelling out a hierarchy of power, we, we've missed the point along with all the other context around it. Paul's point here is not to say, okay, if there's ever a question as to who's in charge, here's the answer. Notice what he's doing. Notice what he's doing here. In the first century Roman world, there was no question who was in charge. Yes, men were heads of the households. Parents had authority over their children, and masters ruled over their bondservants. But remember, Paul is telling us about unity here. How do we live in peace? So without upsetting the structure... He puts parameters around it that, that would have beyond, been beyond radical to his audience. Wives, submit to your husband. In every other context at that time, that's where the sentence would end. But Paul goes on, husbands, love your wives. And to borrow a, a similar thought of Paul's from Ephesians 5, where he's speaking to the same truth, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, for wives and husbands, 
There's absolutely no room for me first. No room for it. And this is utterly groundbreaking. Children and bond servants in the Roman world were, were viewed as nothing more than property. And if you wanted to push them around like an old lawnmower, no one would think twice about it. That, that was your right as a property owner. But Paul says, no, don't provoke your children. And treat your bond servants justly and fairly. There's absolutely nothing in this section of Scripture where we could say, ah, so Paul is giving me the upper hand here, right? No. He's saying this, and I'm going to go back up to, to verse 17 where he says, and whatever you do, and if I could add parenthetically here, whoever you are and whatever role you play in the church or the home, in word or deed, he says, do everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything. Everything you do. As a Christian, everything you do should reflect the character of Christ. Everything. That's never not the case. How do we live in community? How do we live in unity and peace with one another? We reflect the character of Christ. And if you ever find yourself thinking the Lord is, is calling you to be a boss, to be the one who gets to call the shots because you're in charge, let me just remind you of something else that Paul says in Philippians 2 as, as we approach our table, his table. It says this in Philippians 2, 3 and following, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here's the, here's the, here's the gospel in a nutshell. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We live in peace with each other by imitating Christ our Savior who gave his body and his blood for our sake. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, teach us. Teach us to, to love the body of Christ. Help us by your spirit to follow your son by pursuing humility in all circumstances. Help us to begin by, by loving one another first, thereby allowing us to take this love out to a lost and dying world who more than anything needs the favor that can only be found in the work of Christ. And we pray these things in your Son's holy name. Amen.